the LA Gladiators finally live up to our expectations and win the Countdown Cup, setting a new precedent for the future of this final Overwatch League tournament. All this and more on this week's episode of The Birds of Play. Welcome to the Birds of Play podcast. I am your host, George. I'm one of the hosts of the Fun Intended podcast, which is a popular culture podcast where we talk about things like video games, movies, books, pretty much any kind of awesome entertainment or consumable media that you might be interested in. We have long form discussions between myself, my friends, Matt, Chase and Freddie where we take deep dives into just popular culture in general. But this This is my Overwatch League podcast. Why? Because I'm actually fairly interested in this whole thing, and I don't want to bog down the main podcast with a lot of Overwatch League talk. And as such, I've branched out on my own and made this little fun thing to share my interest in the Overwatch League. And... This week has been tremendous. This this not this week, but really this this last batch of matches have been something else. It's been an incredible upset. As you heard in the intro, the LA Gladiators were the ultimate champions of the Countdown Cup and surprisingly, a lot of the teams that made their appearance there were teams we wouldn't normally associate with it. In fact, if you've been paying attention at all to this podcast or even just regular Overwatch League content, you would know that for the last, well, this whole league, this this whole season, you've mostly been seeing the Dallas Fuel and the Shanghai Dragons occupying the space of any kind of tournament situation, especially the finals. And now, for the first time, we're getting completely different teams participating. And it's, it is fantastic. It completely rocked everything. I have not had enough time to watch everything that I want to watch. There are a lot of matches that I am interested in. I definitely want to see the Dallas Fuel play against the Shock, which I believe they lost and ultimately made it so the Shock played against the Gladiators, who they defeated and ultimately got their ticket to go to Hawaii. And... I'm just I'm I'm just utterly taken aback that this this happened. And when I opened up and got ready to do this episode, I was pleasantly surprised to see the teams who made it to the finals were none of the teams that I was expecting to see. Well, I was expecting to see the Chengdu Hunters more or less, but everybody else I was a little surprised at. And if I'm being perfectly honest with my audience right now, I have had another busy production week has been incredibly hectic. And I, and I got some good news in my personal life, so I wasn't really able to dedicate a lot to this episode and do my due diligence. Unfortunately, it seems like as the Overwatch League gets more interesting, I have less time available for myself to actually indulge in in watching a lot of these matches. But 
I think it's funny that the weeks that I don't have a busy production schedule or the weeks that I don't have a busy just schedule in general, nothing is going on of interest in the Overwatch League and it's, it's just a bunch of boring matches. But the one time that I actually have a busy social life and professional life, it's when the league is at its height and they're doing amazing fucking things. But that being said, guys... Let's go ahead and get right into it and talk about this matchup. Again, I haven't had the opportunity to watch every single one of these matches. I haven't been able to watch this this Cinderella story unfold of the LA Gladiators ultimately making it all the way to the finals and winning the Countdown Cup and winning their first championship out of, well, in the history of the LA Gladiators. Now, mind you, it's just a, a tournament championship. It's not a, a official grand finals championship but any victory is a good victory in my book and obviously these guys are riding a wave of momentum that is has been taking them very far i i'm only speculating here but given the matches that have gone on so far if i had to venture a guess it probably comes down to their I don't want to take anything away from them, but I'm pretty sure their success is mostly based off of having a fantastic bracket that allow them to capitalize on what they do best. And this is one of those teams that at the start of the season, there was a lot of hype for them. Um, I think the big thing was their acquisition of certain players had more or less changed the dynamic of what we've known as the LA Gladiators. Last season, they were a good, probably mid-range to bottom mid-range team. They're a good standard. They're good. They're a good preset for what you should set all the other teams to. Like they were the pace car of the league, if you will. Determining they would determine who was good, who was bad, and if you're able to beat them, you're probably a decent team. If you aren't able to beat them, you're probably hot garbage. And that's typically how it went. They weren't the best. They weren't the greatest. They were just one of those baseline teams. You can kind of, you know, set your watch to, to try to determine who's good and who's bad. But like a lot of teams, a lot of changes happened during in between the 2020 season and the 2021 season. And a lot of teams made some adjustments. And this was one of the teams a lot of people were expecting a lot from. And personally, myself included, I felt that they were going to be achieving something something phenomenal, truth be told. But surprisingly, not based off the care the, the player that I was thinking of. See, one of the players that I actually think is is was one of the San Francisco Shocks pivotal players that they made a mistake of letting go and replacing was a moth. And that's one of the things that like, it's kind of hard to say when you have such a deep well of players to basically single out one person and saying, yeah, that's, that's one of your key players on your team. But the reason I point this out is the San Francisco shock. have had a lot of issues with their acquisition of FD God. FD God was a pivotal player on the Paris Eternal. And for a lot of people, they considered him to be almost a quintessential Lucio player of the league. And for most people 
who, well, for the most of the uninitiated, Lucio is a support player who, well, um, it's hard to explain. He has a few characteristics that make him very interesting. He's, he's very unique and very useful in league play. He's able to, he, he can wall ride. His main things are he has two passive abilities. One increases the movement speed of everybody around him and his aura. The other one is he gives a passive healing buff. Most players who play him on like ladder matches and stuff, most of the people, if you're if you're Lucio main, the majority of the people you play with are probably going to be upset with you if you're not constantly using your passive heal. They basically just want you to be a glorified like healing beacon for them to be healed as you're playing. But a lot of the dynamicy of the player, I mean, of the character comes from his ability to allow teams to speed through a lot of the obstacles that are placed in, in the map. So you can speed through choke points. You can kind of aggressively move towards the enemy and you can set up a lot of plays based off of it. The problem is that a lot of people in regular ladder matches, just kind of, like I said, they just want you to be a healing beacon. And he's also, I guess he's, he's also a character who's got a lot of a flack, mostly due to the fact that a lot of play of the games and a lot of AKA Reddit Lucios have kind of ruined the game in a sense where players play him hyper aggressively. They wall ride and they use his ability to boop people off the map to get cheap kills or play of the game highlights. It eventually gets you a bunch of upvotes on Reddit. A lot of people don't really like that play, but FD God in Overwatch League was exceptionally good at playing Reddit Lucio. So when you're watching Paris Eternal games, you'd see him pull these amazing plays where he'd boop the other team off the map and he was able to play this, this really aggressive, really dynamic Lucio play that is very good for spectators. But as it turns out, not so good when it comes to actual, you know, uh, playing with the team. So the reason I bring it up, though, is Moth was the guy he ultimately replaced and Moth was picked up by the L.A. Gladiators. Moth was more of a. He was less he was a less flashy player, if that makes sense. He had the chops to be the Red Lucio kind of player, the, the aggressive play style that a lot of people wanted, but he didn't engage in that. He was a very, I'd almost say cerebral player. He, he'd make sure he'd play well with the team and was, wasn't as aggressive, but the way he played was best for team play. So when he was picked up by the LA gladiators, I was like, okay, that's one player you can definitely build a team off of. And I think a lot of people had that same expectation that he was going to be the pivotal person. They were going to build their entire roster around only to have the way the meta shaped up basically the way the meta shaped up he wasn't one of the people they were building their team around so obviously he didn't get a lot of play this week because lucio is still one of the banned players and i almost want to say this is one of the, the pivotal things that one of the pivotal players that a lot of people were expecting to see drastic changes with their team and lineup this season they had some other people, they, they had a lot of carryover from the previous seasons, but for me, my take of it was adding mops to the roster was going to be a drastic change for just, just for play in general. 
if anything, the thing that really changed out for them that really worked out, it seems as they got rid of OGE as their main tank. And uh, the addition of Muse into that position actually lets players like uh, Space actually play very well in the game. Um, Space, for instance, is a... He's probably one of the better off tanks in the league. And for a long time, he was probably one of the better players on the LA Gladiators. Unfortunately, it's kind of hard to stand out as an off tank. Obviously, you're not the main tank. You're not the center focus. And although you are pivotal and very crucial to team fights, it is one of those positions that a lot of people don't give the due respect that they've earned. And to see them actually pick up a better tank and muse and make other adjustments overall in their team dynamic, you really were expecting them to do a lot better. And they were. They were doing considerably better than what they used to do. However, like a lot of teams, they weren't getting the success. They weren't getting the same level of success that a lot of people were expecting them to get. And they had a lot of hype going in the same way the Dallas Fuel did. The difference is that the Dallas Fuel's play style really helped them achieve a level of dominance in the league that permitted them to continue to be one of the premier teams out there. And they, they set the standard for a lot of the meta and a lot of the play. Whereas the LA Gladiators were always kind of reactionary. And you can kind of see this a lot of the Chengdu game in that they don't really, how do I put it? There's not really a standout kind of system of play that they do. There's two things I'll say for sure that they do very well, and that is they're very good at playing together, which is something I've mentioned before about the Dallas Fuel, is that they have this, in regards to the Dallas Fuel, they have a very cohesive, almost like you're fighting... Uh, you're fighting a beast with six limbs when you're playing against Dallas Fuel. When you're playing against teams like the Gladiators, the difference, well, it's, it's unique in a way. They don't do anything that really stands out and says, like, this is their specific style. It's almost like they have a very good, strong fundamentals of the game that they're able to capitalize on it's it's really it's really hard to narrow down so while watching the Chengdu game the things that they really excelled at it seemed to be just capitalizing on the movement of the other team so they could place their flankers in the right position they were actually pinstering the Chengdu hunters a lot where they would go Chengdu would go down a certain avenue and they'd start engaging their tanks only to have people like Kevster and Birdring flank them on the edges with their tracer and somber play and kind of pick at them. And whenever they would try to react to either side, the team would basically collapse on. If, if anything, I'd, I'd almost say that the LA gladiators are really adept at fighting in matches where the odds were against them. This is something that, like, the reason why compositions like Dallas Fuel or just, like, Death Ball compositions are so strong, and that's when the whole team fights as one cohesive unit, is because, obviously, the more 
tilted you make it. If it's 6v5, obviously the 6 should win. If it's 6v4, again, they should win. The thing about the Gelly Gladiators was that they're able to survive long enough in these kind of brawly situations that their assault players, their DPS players are able to capitalize and pick off and make the important picks that they need to make for them to ultimately be successful. If anything, especially in this Chengdu game, Chengdu versus uh, the LA Gladiators, what it really came down to was their support. Their support class players are actually determining who won the matches ultimately. Because if we really stack them up together, they both had very strong DPS lines and very strong tank lines. And that's not trying to say that either team had like weaker support lines, if anything. If, if, if we really come down to brass tacks, the difference lies in their ability of the support players to both maximize their ability to help their team as well as their ability to know when to apply things like sleep darts or their discord orbs it was basically i guess when it comes down to support players and mind you i'm not a support specialist you have to you have to <laughs> you have to play this this fine line right because support players aren't just healers in a lot of ways. I mean, that, that is usually their primary abilities. However, they also have other, other tools in their kit that can help out in matches. So for instance, when you think about someone like Brigida, is she the strongest healer? In my opinion, probably not. She has a passive heal whenever she melees and she's got a little armor packs, but outside of like maybe burst healing, she doesn't really do a lot. If anything, her best parts of her kit are her ability to kind of prevent the dive. If a character dives into the back line, Brigida can stun them or knock them back and create space long enough for hopefully one of the DPS line or one of the tank players to peel or for both of the supports to basically take down the threat. Not all support players have this. Some support players are their their ability to deal with being dove on is their ability to run away or create space and hopefully try to keep the thing at bay long enough for the rest of their team to respond. And it's tough. It's tough playing a support player. I mean, they're, they're, it's one of those like a lot of people talk about how being a tank player is hard because if you don't do your job well, you get a lot of flack for it. If you're not playing the classes that the other team team members want you to play, you get a lot of flack for it. But to be fair, the support class kind of falls in that same into that same pain, if that makes sense. So your ability to flexibly both deal damage and keep your team alive, if anything, you're you're you have to be extraordinarily good at multitasking. You have to be extraordinarily good at multitasking and you have to have a lot of tools so dialed in to be able to, well, be effective. And and for instance, like if, if we think of it this way, in the San Francisco Shock player Violet, they would occasionally sub him in 
to their DPS line to be their hit scan. And the reason being is that guy is is phenomenal. He has a, a very good ability to track and shoot. And part of that probably is because he plays support so much. And there's a lot of support players that you have to be able to not only like, like let's take Anna, for instance, where she has to be able to hit a target that's super small to heal them and as well be able to snap and react to shoot a sleep dart to ultimately hopefully like make a, a pivotal play in the match. It, there's, there's a lot of things that go into a lot of subtle intricacies that come into play and support that it, it, it really is one of those positions that it doesn't get enough respect. And it's, it's funny. Like I personally, like I've mentioned before, prefer to play tanks if only because as an older player, it allows me enough time to soak up damage to still be effective while I react to the, the speediness of these young bucks and their ability to to react a lot faster. Their, their fast twitch muscles are still more receptive than mine are, despite my age. And when, when you look at it from another perspective, if I'm playing support, it's a lot of more micromanaging and being cognizant and aware of the environment in such a way to know okay where can i position myself well enough to heal my teammates and keep myself safe but at the same time it's basically you're you're trying to keep yourself safe because you're important and if you die it can cost your team the match but also be in a position that allows you to support your your teammates there, there's just a lot of stuff to go into it, almost to the point where a lot of people, they almost say like shot callers and matches or basically the people who are going to designate who's important to be attacked or who should be focused on. Most people kind of lean into saying the support players should be the shot callers because they're in a position where they're not in the trenches and they can kind of see the overall view of the match where they can react accordingly. And that's just, well, I think I'm being a little off track here. When it came down to this, these gladiators versus the, the Chengdu matches, I really do feel it, it did come down to this, their support lines. Because in every other regard, they were fairly even. Maybe not perfectly even. But it was one of those like rock, paper, scissors situations where although their tank line isn't accustomed to playing against like that, that APAC, that Asia Pacific wrecking ball composition. They're good enough that they can play and make the adjustments they need to, to counter them and vice versa. It really came down to just the ability of the support players to, I guess, just make the openings their team needed. To, to keep their team alive long enough for their flankers to pick off who they needed to pick off. And it almost came down to that, where you could see in the matches where they're about to kill somebody, and then out of nowhere, their support guys swoop in. They keep them just barely alive long enough to keep the team sustained for them to react and counter them. It, it, it was a, a very eloquent ballet between the players 
And it's probably why the games went the distance. I mean, the LA Gladiators did a fantastic job of dominating them early, but it seems the rhythm was disrupted when Chengdu made some substitution with some of their legacy players for one map. And suddenly the momentum shifted enough for Chengdu to almost, almost get a reverse sweep on them. But it's just, it's interesting to see. The the fun that can be had in this game. Because, like, if I'm being perfectly honest, watching another team stop another team, not as fun. And there's a lot of things that are meta that I kind of, I really don't get a lot of enjoyment in watching. But watching these two teams square off, watching Chengdu do what Chengdu does best and being overly chaotic, playing these ridiculous compositions and just kind of capitalizing on on the other team trying to react to them. And then just kind of watching the LA Gladiators play very, very well while playing very basic compositions. It's, it's just kind of, it was a treat. To, to say it for at the very least, and, and I'm not a big fan of watching three hour long games because honestly, like I I have so little time to commit to these things that just watching like one match, let alone one that goes for three hours, it, it, it's hard to find enjoyment in that. But I got to say from start to finish, this Chengdu versus LA Gladiators match was certainly, certainly very entertaining and a joy to watch. Um. Well, like I said, guys, I've had a a long week. I actually wasn't expecting to be able to put out an episode because, again, a lot of things came up and I'm actually mildly surprised that I was able to sit down today and find the time necessary to record this and get this all put together so you guys could have something, some sort of content to enjoy. Um, We still don't know what the future is going to bring for this slot. I'm going to see what the other guys think we should do with the Birds of Play podcast, because as you know, we're entering the finals of the Overwatch League. We're about to see who's ultimately be dubbed the grand champion. We're about to start hitting the playoffs and ultimately the grand finals. So this is coming to an end. Again, we're going to try to figure out what we're going to do with the Birds of Play podcast, what it's going to turn into. If you guys have any kind of suggestions of what you want to see in the future, or any kind of breakdown or anything, let me know. Hell, if you want me to turn this into like my my love of sports anime, I would totally do that. That'd be funny as hell. And knowing how much Freddy is our or is our poster child for like not having any anime on the podcast, it'd be a great a great way of just 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 kind of making him unhappy which as you know if you've been watching or listening for a while that's one of our favorite things is like he he's our punching bag and and god we love the love the beat on him and braid him but he's a good sport about it he's fantastic and that being said guys next week we're going to be covering another fun intended podcast hopefully you guys stick around give that a listen i'm expecting it right now and here's like somebody if you're one of the fun intended viewers and you want like a sneak peek of what that episode is going to be it's probably going to be very cyberpunk heavy because the guys all got that special best buy deal 
where Cyberpunk was going for ten dollars, and they've been they've been playing it nonstop this entire weekend. So I can almost venture a guess that is exactly what you can expect for next week's episode of the Fun Intended Podcast. But guys, that is it for me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope to be able to dedicate more time to indulging this this little hobby of mine and giving you guys quality content for you to enjoy. But once again, I'm George, and this was the Birds of Play. Mm-hmm.